Ladies and gentlemen, we are live! Welcome everyone to BX Sports Jedi MMA Weekly of Austin and Stephan. I am Austin, my host Stephan. How are you doing tonight, Stephan? I am doing. Um, I'm I'm doing all right, but this, this was an interesting weekend of MMA combat. Very very interesting. I I don't know. It 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 makes me feel weird just even discussing it, but. We're going to get into the weeds. We got to talk about it. Austin, how are you? Doing all right. I mean, you are correct. This was a very interesting, unique uh, MMA event, MMA weekend. With It was very, it's, yeah, I said, unique and interesting, the MMA weekend with both, um, yeah, especially with the UFC and also Bellator as well. But I'm doing, but I'm doing all right. And. Let's say happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I know by the time you're seeing this, it'll be past Mother's Day, but still happy Mother's Day to all the moms. To you know, Dan's mom obviously, and my mom, and all the moms who are watching us, and everyone's mom, watch everyone's mom, of course, that watches us or listens to us as well. Yeah, you are the reason we are here. So thank you guys so much, and happy Mother's Day to all mothers. Yep, definitely. And let's get started with um, what happened last weekend. We'll start with the Bellator. Bellator 280 in Paris, in Paris, France. As the main event was Ryan Bader versus Czech Congo. As Ryan Bader defeats Czech Congo via unanimous decision, 50-45, all three judges court cards. And Ryan Bader's and the story of this fight is Ryan Bader's wrestling was too much for Czech Congo. Congo couldn't really do anything to stop the takedown, or even get him off, uh, or even get Bader off him. And that, and because of that, Ryan Bader just controlled the fights, and he basically was just able to control him and dominate him for all the fight and this wasn't exactly the most entertaining fight I'm not gonna lie it really wasn't compared especially compared to the rest of the card 
But um, definitely for the rest of the car, definitely was the you know sleeper of the night, unfortunately, especially in the Crown of France. And obviously, the French guy losing the title doesn't help at all. Czech Congo playing his home country of France, losing the championship fight. Yeah, it's not exactly a great way to end the night for the Crown of France, especially since this. I know this is the second time Bellator's been there, but I think it's the first time with full arena that fans were there to witness it. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it wasn't the greatest fight, but Ryan Bayer was able to use his wrestling and control him and just did enough to prevent Chet Congo from do, from really hurting him at all. And that's basically the story of the fight. What are your thoughts on this fight, Dan? I agree with you 100%. For me, um, watching this fight, it came down to the forward pressure. That was really it. You knew Ryan Bader was going to provide forward pressure. What was Czech Congo going to do to try and negate that? Because at the end of the day, you have to share. Well, this is the infamous uh, quote from DC. You have to share the octagon with the opponent. And so when you do something like that, that means you have to control your own space, be a master of a space. And he did nothing to negate that forward pressure. So Ryan Bader was able to do whatever he wanted. And Czech Congo, I. I for all, you know, for all I said uh, about those knees that he's quite famous for using, he really didn't present them until really the fourth or fifth round where it was kind of too late. And his coaches were telling him he, he was losing every single round because it, it was known he, he lost every single round. Ryan Bader just kept providing forward pressure. And with that forward pressure, he had control of the octagon and he provided offense and did whatever he wanted. And Czech Congo couldn't negate that. So... Yeah, I agree with you 100%. It wasn't an entertaining fight because uh, Ryan Bader really, I don't think he was looking to damage uh, Czech Congo too much. I think as long as he knew he could provide that forward pressure and have that control of the fight roughly around the second to third round, he decided, you know what, I'm just controlling this guy. I'm going to damage him when I want full control of this fight. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're 100% there. Ryan Bader wasn't looking to damage him. He's just controlling him. Knowing they can control him and just do enough to keep control of him and just do as long as he can do that, he can just coast, you know, basically coast through a victory while taking real damage at all. I mean, you're absolutely right. He didn't look to really hurt Congo at all in that fight. Yeah, and so Ryan Bader moves on as a champion, and we have to find out who his next opponent is in the Bellator. Yeah, I, d I definitely agree. We'll see who's next from the heavyweight division, but we can, I, I mean, we'll like I said, we'll find out in the next several months. But we can move on to the co-main event, which was in the light heavyweight division, between Yoel Soldier Guy Romero versus Alex uh, Alex Polizzi. And Yoel Romero wins the fight via TKO in the third round, four, four minutes and 59 seconds in the third round. So basically, one more second left. It was confusing at first because, you know, and um, when when uh, Pelosi was um, yeah. Pelosi was getting up from a from like after getting knocked down. Romero hit him with a right hook that really like stays in and wobble him, but the bell that rang. But Mike Beltron, the ref the ref of the fight, saw that um that Pelosi was out of his feet and just waved it off and stopped the fight, which I mean I which I understand where Beltron is coming from because if you watch he, he was out on his feet and Pelosi took a lot of damage in his fights. I mean a lot. I mean, the left hand from Yo Romero was was finding his mark on Pelosi all day all day long. That entire fight in the first round was competitive. It actually was because Pelosi went for several takedowns, but didn't work because Romero stopped him. 
because I forget Romero is a silver medalist of the Olympics in wrestling at back in 2000. I mean, the fact that Romero, well, the fact that Romero's 45 still fighting is pretty impressive. The fact that he's 45 and winning fights against a guy in Pelosi was 10-1, a guy who, who, was tr who the first round was trying to, you know, was doing all right, you know, touching him, but Romero was also touching him as well and, and had more power. I mean, like I said, that left hand kept landing on uh, Alex Pelosi, and the second round was the same. He kept landing it, rocking Pelosi, but Pelosi just kept going. He showed, showed his toughness. Pelosi's one tough dude. He just kept getting touched, but yeah, kept getting hit hard, but kept kept going. Got dropped several times, but got up. Even that, even that third round when Pelosi's face was bleeding, all getting beat up, he landed a couple. He landed like one two on Romero and was still trying to win the fight, but Romero's power is just too much. The only thing about Joel Romero that anyone who's seen him fight knows is that he's got power in his hands, both hands. He's dynamite. And if he lands something, we can knock you out. We've seen him do it to plenty of guys and stumble guys with his punches. I mean, guy's a freaking, he's a, he, he's just a, he's such an anomaly, Yo Romero. I mean, this guy is 45, winning fights. He just, he just won against a guy 10-1, a guy who's 15 years younger than him, who's in his athletic prime, and messed him up badly. I mean, it's just, I mean, wow. I mean, I'm a big Romero guy. I love Yo Romero. And to see him win like that is awesome, considering his last fight in 205 was not his best performance at, you know, as we, against Phil Davis. I mean, Phil Davis is good, but Romero could have done better, though. You know, Phil Davis is pretty good. And and the crowd really loved Romero in France. They were chaining Romero, like, the, the crowd. I mean, Romero, it's like Romero kept, Romero was like, put his hand up, like, I got you guys. And then he would throw a left at her flawsy. I thought that part was kind of cool. I mean, well, what are your thoughts on this fight, Chef Dan? Um, yeah, like you said, Alex Polizzi was a, a tough dude. He, um, man. He's really tough, but at the same note, this is something where you're going to watch the tape because you're in there with a veteran like Yoel Romero. And he presented every challenge that Polizzi couldn't answer that night. And this is something he's going to learn, especially as a wrestler, because... He kind of gave up after one shot. Just kind of gave up after one shot. Really didn't try and reshoot and try and dedicate to the shoot if he was going to wrestle his way with uh, Yoel Romero. And then in the stand-up game, Yoel Romero just kept getting more and more comfortable as the rounds progressed to a point where he was just like, he was doing the 52. Like, like uh, the, the, yeah. <laughs> he's doing the 52, man. That's what he was. Yeah, but yep and he was just having fun and i think it was the uh first it was the second round where he knocked down polizzi and yes. they wanted him to finish uh they the crowd wanted him to go in for the finish and he was telling them just hold on like you said just hold on i got you i got something special for you and i'm watching i'm waiting and i'm thinking you know maybe he should have actually you know uh, put the gas pedal on, but just at the last second, he hits a buzzer beater and is able to finish Polizzi. And I, you know, at that moment, really, uh, you know, at the last couple of seconds, watching Polizzi take that much damage on the ground, I know he kind of rolled himself out of it, but I, you know, once the referee waved his hands and I saw what was going on, I was like, okay, the, the referee kind of got in there late a little. He did, they're gonna, uh, they're gonna give him the last second finish, but. All in all, he did finish Alex Polizzi. He was out right there. He was out on his feet. 
and Yoel Romero continues to to just be astounding at the age that he is, finishing opponents at the uh, at the way he does. It was just really amazing and and, and a re- very very entertaining fight. It was. It's great to see Yoel Romero back. That's the Yoel Romero that everyone loves. The guy that does that. I mean. Well, you know, sometimes he can be, you know, a little inactive, but then he goes out there and just throws something. And we saw Romero, who was, you know, more patient. You know, he, he was patient, but not to the point where it hurt him. Like in, like in the Israel fight, when he fought Israel, Asanya, where he was, you know, too cautious and didn't really do anything. And he just, I mean, we, we just, I mean, we know how good Romero is. This guy can has diamond bullpens, great wrestler. And he just, he just plays age. I mean, the guy's 45, being 30-something, a 30-year-old guy. I mean, unless the unless somehow the Cubans lie about his age, because you know that old, you know the whole like urban legend about Cubans lying about people's ages and stuff, which I don't think they did. I don't think so. But the guy's 45 and looks like that. Does things. It's just I mean, how can you, if you're in your mid 40s. Wait, wait, wait. So you think he might be younger or older? Nah, I mean, may, potentially younger. I don't think he's older. Okay. Maybe it, it's that you know. I, I'm not. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to say it's the case, but there's that. No, no, I know. I know. It's, just, about... it's, it's funny. It's funny. That's why it's. Just, I'm not even. I'm, it, it's. It's just funny. I'm sorry. It's just funny. It is because remember he competed in the Olympics for Cuba and. You know, Cubans sometimes they're known to lie about their athletes' age. Sometimes I mean, confused. athletes lie. Athletes lie about their height. They lie about their weight. They lie about their hand size. They lie about all their measurables. So, who's to say? I mean, there was even a case that a basketball player, I believe, his name was Thon Maker. There, oh, may, yeah. there was a rumor out there that maybe he lied about his age and he was older than. Uh, 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 he was uh, projected to be and things of that nature. I. Yeah. I mean, even even if he's even if, even if he is forty-five or in his forties, let's say, still, right? He's in his forties and doing what he does, being that fleck he is, and being guys younger than him. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's just, how can you not be in awe of him? I mean, I'm I'm in awe of Romero, especially you know his story too. I mean, Yo Yo Romero is like, I mean, I, I like Yo Romero. I'm a big fan of the Soldier of God. And he's got, and we know his next opponent's gonna be Melvin Manhoof, another um, guy in his 40s. A guy's been around, had more fights than Romero, fought, you know, earlier than Romero did in MMA. But a guy who's a great stand up, great kickboxer, who's done well in MMA, Melvin Manhoof. And it was supposed to happen this car, but Melvin, famous, you know, got, you know, got injured his hand because he was stopping burglars. He, he you know, he beat up three burglars who were trying to came his house and, he, you know, punched the, I think, the window of a car and got his hand injured. That postponed the fight, you know, he so he couldn't find this card, but but him and Romero will be fighting September in Dublin, Ireland. So that's the next opponent for Yo Romero. We know it's going next for him, and thankfully Melvin's recovered and he caught some burglars trying to you know mess with it, you know, trying to steal things from him. Most definitely. Not only that, but we know that's a crowd that is going to appreciate Yoel Romero. So I'm I'm definitely going to be tuned in for that fight. Uh, from there, we can move on to the next fight that happened on the card. Uh, this was also a very good fight to me. Davy Guyon versus Benjamin Brander. Davy Guyon wins this fight in the second round via ground and pound from the Crucifix. And this ground and pound from the Crucifix is not controversial. Yep. Because 
Benjamin Brander took a lot of damage from Davy Guyon. Davy Guyon, he was he was just outclassing Benjamin Brander a lot throughout this fight. And it got to the second round. He stumbled him, got him on the ground. And when he was able to get him into the crucifix position, he got him there and he was just vicious elbows and fists and just I mean, go ahead, Austin. It was it was a very, very good fight. It was a very good fight. You're right. Once in the second round, he was able to get top position. Benjamin Brander, it was the beginning of the end for Brander. David Guyon just basically was able, you know, once he got a cruise effects, which, you know, for most fighters, you get you get your opponent cruise effects, you're probably the most dying position you can get in terms of the grappling aspect in MMA that I think, unless it's something else I don't know about, but... I mean, I'm I'm not gonna lie. Now that you say it like that, like there's um the only other all right, that's one dire position. The only other dire position, because it is a submission, is the heel hook. Oh yeah, yes, yes, dire yes. I was talking about dominant, but yeah, that's definitely dire position. The heel hook. Oh, my my ankle, my my Achilles hurt just thinking about that. Yeah, like it's like it's one of those things. Like once you once they've got it, like once they've really secured it. Once I hear, <laughs> once I hear a commentator like Big John McCarthy say, "Is it past the knee?" Yup, he's got it cinched in, arms around it. Yup, you should tap. Once I hear all the check marks, it's like because you can feel it as a fighter. Don't. Don't fight that. Please don't fight that. Just tap instantly and live to fight another day. Because the guy has got you there and you can always work on the position. But you're absolutely right. That and a crucifix position, those are the most dangerous and dire positions that I, I see a fighter. Once they get themselves into that, it, it, it's kind of like good night, Irene. Def definitely agree with you there. And, and that's what um, Guyon did with um, Benjamin Brander. He, he just got into the position, just punched you know punch elbows and uh, some you know a lot he took he did a lot of them and the, and the stoppage was not controversial because he definitely gave brandon all the chance again to get out of it which i know it's hard to do but i've seen some fighters get out of that position tough to do but it's possible but guyon it just is, just had him is, and just, go ahead it is most definitely possible you could always um like the, the method most famously seen is the bridge and kick over so that you can kind of topple over their weight and you could end yeah. up on top. But it's not even to say uh, it is a hopeless thing because there's a way to get out of it. But as game as Davy Guyon was, man, I don't know if, I don't know if that was going to work for him. Because Davy had one step on him every night. You mean Benjamin Brander? I mean, yeah, no, but Davy had one step on Benjamin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. entire night, yeah. Yes, he did. He did, and Gayon was able to just punch his elbows, and he and a good amount, at least half of them landed. To the and went on for a while to the point the ref has stopped it. And David Gayon gets a big victory in his home country of France, considering he is French himself. So that was, it was him and Romero, two the two guys that got the most love from the crowd in in terms of the you know crowd reaction. Oh, and Czech Congo too, Czech Congo as well. But yeah, yeah, it was those three guys who got the biggest reaction from the crowd. And, you know, two French guys and one guy, and Romero, who's, who most MMA fans just love. Doesn't matter if you're French, Cuban, American, you know, whatever. People just love Romero. 
But yeah, it's good that's victory for Guyon's home country of France. And then uh, we can move on to the next fight on that main card. Lorenz Larkin versus Kyle Stewart. Lorenz Larkin wins this fight in the first round uh, uh, from elbow to ground strikes. Like, Austin, you got to tell me what you saw from this fight. Um, I saw a fight where, where um, Stewart early on was doing all right, but but then but Larkin was putting pressure on him. Was clearly the guy with the who was clearly the better fighter, more experienced and. And once you know, once they got to the cage, Larkin really like went you know through more combinations at um Stewart's where where I, I know I, I I know that he dropped him with a right elbow. Right, it was a right elbow that dropped Stewart. But I feel like he hit hit something else before the right elbow. Maybe a body shot from left. I don't recall. But I know once the right elbow landed, Stewart was down, and then Larkin started picking him apart and just you know ground and pounding him. And, you know, and he even threw knees to um, Stewart's body when Stewart, you know, when Stewart was like on his knees, you know, trying to get up. He threw, you know, Lark himself threw knees to the body, which was very smart to try to open up some um, offense on Stewart. But Stewart, but you know, Stewart tried to get up, but Stewart really couldn't do anything. And what? And Stewart, yeah, not Stewart. Excuse me. Larkin just kept ground pounding him. Yeah, yeah, just like that. That's the image right there. Stewart, Stewart tried getting up, he couldn't, and then Larkin just kept picking him apart, throwing shots, you know, to his gut, into his face, and into the ref, the ref had stopped it. And it was a great victory for Lance Larkin, another um, stop, another um, stoppage victory, considering you know his career, considering his recent run, he had gotten decision victory, so he finally gets a, a stoppage victory. It's 13th one, I believe, 13th by K on TKL, if I'm mistaken. But good performance for Lance Larkin, guy like I say, he was in strike force, did well there, did well in UFC. You know, it's gone to Bell Taurus, had a good success, had a little hiccup in the middle, but recently he's won, I believe, three in a row, four in a row. So good victory for Larkin. He's trying to climb up the um, middleweight rankings, which I think he will. You know, and he's always I like to see what he does next. Alright. And then uh, last fight that uh, we're just gonna mention, neither I nor Austin were able to view this fight was a uh, Gregory Babine versus Mike Shipman. Gregory Babine wins this fight via TKO in the first round. So uh, congratulations to Gregory Babine and all the uh, successful fighters from this card and in the preliminaries too, which you can watch for free on YouTube, which I have a feeling I'm going to mention that again a little bit later on in the program. From there, we can move on from the Bellator to the next night. UFC Saturday night UFC 274 Oliveira versus Gagey accompanied by Nami Yunus versus Esparza 2 I this was a uh, uh, up and down roller coaster card up roller and down. coaster card I mean I yeah stock market you know the ups and downs of the stock market I mean basically Let's get right into it. Let's, uh, you know what? Let's. Uh, I just. I think the. I, I. I think the more we talk about it, the more we're going to. You're going to see, ladies and gentlemen, what we're talking about as far as like what we feel about this uh, card. But we can start off with the uh, fight that capped off the night: Charles Oliveira versus uh, Justin Gagey. The title was vacated due to some controversy with the scale. 
with something about Oliveira missing weight or the scale not uh, calibrated correctly, things of that nature. But um, they are saying that Oliveira did not make weight. And they gave, at the weigh-in, they do give you an additional hour to shed the poundage. They said he was off by half a pound and he still couldn't shed it there. So um, if Oliveira won, the title ended up being vacant. And that is most definitely what happened within the first round. Charles Oliveira wins this uh, fight in the first round via rear naked choke there. As you see it, securing it over Justin Gagey. It was a hell of a first round. Both of those guys rocked each other like twice in the first round. Uh, it started off with Oliveira. You know how he is with the striking. He gets in close, is able to clinch and do some things with his striking and able to throw in some knees. But he caught uh, uh, Justin Gaethje there, but then Justin Gaethje was able to throw something back and knock down Charles Oliveira. But Gaethje was smart enough to say, you know what, when uh, Charles Oliveira was down and wanted to engage in the ground, he said, I'm not going to do that. And then uh, Oliveira had to get back up. From there, uh, uh, he rocked Gagey again. Gagey was tr uh, trying to throw some leg kicks to kind of, uh, before he got rocked, he was trying to throw some leg kicks to try and uh, uh, soften things up and, and mix uh, mix up the striking. But Charles was checking uh, some of those leg kicks. He was checking a lot of the leg kicks. So he he was game on the tape for uh, uh, Justin Gagey. He rocked Justin Gagey there. Uh, Gagey was wobbly a little was able to go in the clinch, deliver some knees, but then Gagey was, uh, you know, fighting through the clinch, things of that nature, uh, um, got out of the clinch. He rocked, um, he rocked Charles again. Charles fell down to the ground. Charles tried to engage, uh, uh, engage him from the ground, but Gagey didn't go for it. Charles had to get up once again. Uh, Charles rocked him, got him in the clinch, and then just tossed him over. Like, I, I, like, it was like a left hand grab and then with the inside trip just tossed him over and got him got uh, got him on the ground and then immediately took the back of Justin Gagey from there it was just lights out he, he well, what was that I believe he had Justin Gagey's leg wrapped up yeah his torso his torso like his, I mean, over his legs over his torso yeah, like he had his leg wrapped up over the, uh, 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 trying to go, I think he was going for a heel hook at first, but didn't get that. And then he, uh, as Gagey was fighting up or off the heel hook, he locked in his, his knee, it, it, you know, the lower part of his leg, the, the low, you know, just this calf right there, uh, on the, uh, on the knee of Gagey, brought him down and then took his back, was trying to get the rear naked, G Gagey's trying to fight off the, uh, fight that off, couldn't really get that. And then after that, he just secured the rear naked. Gagey tried fighting the hands. Couldn't happen. Really cinched it in. And Gagey had to tap. Charles Oliveira, yeah. man. It's just... He, he kept saying that there is a lightweight champion and his name is Charles Oliveira. And he's proven right now he's light years ahead of the, the, the division right now. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. He's proven it. He's proven this fight. I mean, this fight was for it lasted one round, but it was an entertaining fight. It was really entertaining. I mean, early on, I mean the the crowd obviously being in Arizona, the crowd was pro Gaethje because Gaethje's from Arizona, and also he happened to be happened to be half Mexican too, which you know he came out of Mexican mariachi music and weekend single de Mayo, and obviously Arizona a lot of Mexicans in Arizona. 
as well. So the crowd was obviously pro Gaethje. The crowd atmosphere yeah. was great. I believe so. Gaethje's of Mexican descent as well because his grandparents yeah. are uh, Mexican. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Gaethje is Mexican from I think at least at least his mom's side. Oh, by both sides of his family. I know for his mom's side for sure. But um, but yeah, your grandparents his grandparents came from Mexico, I think, to the United States. But yeah, uh, Gaethje had a great performance early on. Like early on, he was good. Like he dropped Charles twice. You know, Char you know, he dropped Charles. Charles was inviting him for the um, initiate the grappling, which most guys do not want to do because Oliveira's got more submissions than anyone in UFC history. Yeah, at that point he had 20 submission victories. So why would you engage with someone who might be the best submission like jiu-jitsu guy in in lightweight history in UFC history? This is a bait to him, Maya, but it's another bait. We talk about it a little bit later or another time. But so Gaethje didn't want to engage, and but now and Oliveira would get up, and in Oliveira got knocked down. He wasn't exactly like wobbly, like took super. I mean, Oliveira's tough, man. He's just tough. I mean, that guy. He can take damage and come back. It's crazy. Chandler took damage, came back. Within a minute later, he, he knocked Chandler out. Poirier hurt, dropped him like once or twice. But yet, so he did a Poirier in the second and third round. I mean, and here, Gaethje drops him twice. Poirier, I mean, not Poirier, excuse me. Oliveira gets like nothing. And just, and one thing Oliveira did I, I, that was really smart, he, he basically took away the, the leg kicks from Justin Gaethje. As we know, Gaethje, one of his greatest weapons, it's not his greatest weapon, it's his leg kicks. I mean, he has some of the best leg kicks in all MMA. And Oliveira, since he fights out with Muay Thai stance, you know, I think Muay Thai is one of the first martial arts he did. He basically lifted up his knee, like Muay Thai fires does, and to the point where Gaethje's leg, leg, leg kicks weren't connecting. And it took away one of Gaethje's biggest weapons, is the leg kicks, which... Which I think when it caused Gaethje to panic a little bit and he started swinging wild, wildly. I mean, it's a point where Gaethje swung and fell down in that fight. Kept loading and, up too much. Yep. Yes. Yes, you're right. I'm about to say he kept loading up too much. And then Oliveira was able to catch it and drop Gaethje. And Gaethje from like two minutes ago in the first round, I believe. I don't remember. And I know it's past the halfway point. That's all I, that I know for sure. And then, and then basically he was basically once he got the grappling exchanges, you knew Gaethje was in trouble, because that because that was the one thing I think it one one weakness about Gaethje is his grappling defense, and you know even though he's a great wrestler, he can spin takedowns, but some but once you get him down and keep him, you know, he has a hard time getting up sometimes, and it really, and against Oliveira that was just the beginning of the end for him. You mentioned you know Oliveira went for a heel hook, well not was a heel hook you said or a knee bar. It was either a heel hook or a knee. No, it had to have been a heel hook, because Gagey immediately addressed it. It had to have been a heel hook, because he was past the knee. Yes, that's the yes. only way he could have dropped the leg on the uh, on the on Gagey's knee. He had to have been past the knee in order for Gagey to have addressed it as quickly as he did, and, and drop him down to to uh, get him at least past his knee. So that that yeah, it was a heel hook. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're right. It was a heel hook, and then he went, you know he just kept attacking, attacking, which, and then he was able to get the rear naked choke, and then he just tried fighting it, but Charles made an adjustment, and Charles is just when it comes to submissions, all of errors. Like I said, has more submission than anyone. Might be the best submission artist in UFC history. That's a, arguably he has a case for it. And Gaethje was in trouble. He had he was gonna get uh, he was gonna tap out or get choked out, and he and he tapped out. And an impressive, I mean, impressive victory for Oliveira, where he just he 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 showed why he's clearing head, clearing 
<clears throat> clearly head and shoulders above most guys in the lightweight division. I mean, Chandler. Well, Chandler gave. Well, Chandler. Well, actually, the Chandler fight was competitive. Chandler must finish him. I yeah. do want to take that back. You know, yeah, that's the thing. The only the only guy that has a like, the only guy that has an argument to say like they had the chance to uh, finish uh, Oliveira was just that Oliveira survived and got out the round. Is Michael Chandler? He was the, mo the most. He gave the most competitive fight. Yes, because ever since really ever since Billings win streak, especially particularly when he fought Kevin Lee in March of 2020 onward, he's just been dominant against guys. I mean, everyone. I mean, I think he's on a. I think I think Avery's last nine fights are up in finishes. The only guy that he didn't finish was Tony Ferguson. Obviously, I mean, shows how tough Tony is. We'll talk about him later, obviously. But um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, he dominated Kevin Lee, dominated Tony Ferguson. Dom I mean, Chandler. We know what happened there. Just after the first round with Poirier, it just. I mean, it, even though Oliver did have success in that first round, with knees to the gut. But the first round was somewhat competitive, and then second, third round, he just. Just dominated Poirier and just dominated Gaethje. I mean, his, his recent fights, he's shown he's head above most guys in his lightweight division. I mean, he is clearly the best lightweight in the world. And it's crazy considering, you know, Habib would be retiring. You thought it, it would cast a shadow along that division. Like, who's going to take charge and be the guy in that division? And all of Eric's done, he's been dominant force in that division. So, you, know, especially, you know, especially with retirement for Habib. And that was next for um, Charles is basically the other dominant force in this division, Islam Makachev, the invisible force meets the immovable object. I think I said the right phrase correctly. Did I? Or am I? You guys know what I mean, though. You know, 11-5 win streak for Oliveira, 10-5 win streak for Islam Makachev. And it seems like that's the next fight to make. It seems like that's what it's going to be, and it, it makes sense. Both guys are on incredible win streaks. Dominant, the two most dominant fighters in this division, and I look forward to that fight. I think everyone wants to see the wrestling of Islam against the grappling of Charles. Look like good striking. I mean, that I mean, that, that can get you excited. And I don't know what can get you excited. Islam and Charles fighting chair doesn't pump you up. That's that's the only fight to make for the vacant title right now. We know that Oliveira has to be in the picture because. He is head and shoulders above the rest. And the only thing that has defeated him from the title was the scale that has a controversy. Above that, uh, uh, you know, other than that, there's been no one else that can, you know, say, well, the only guy that really has the case is Michael Chandler. But then he's coming off of, you know, granted, we're going to talk about him later as well, but he's... Uh, uh, He's also coming off of two losses, so he's got a uh, he's got a fight to present his case. The only guy that's coming off of a couple victories that's sitting pretty in the top five, is just waiting and hasn't had his shot yet, is Islam Makhachev at number three. Yeah, exactly. And Charles is Charles wants the title as quick as possible. He wants to get that business done. I, there's no reason why we shouldn't get that fight done by the end of this year, man. I Yeah, I agree. And I think it's going to happen in October in Abu Dhabi. Because Islam said, hey, I'm fighting Abu Dhabi. Let's fight there. After after Charles won his fight against um, Justin Gaethje. And I think that makes, makes sense. You know, five, that's five months from now. Okay, you know, give Oliver a little bit of time to, like, you know, recover and, you know, and things like that. And then, then he can go, then he can still fight this year as well. And gets and it gives Islam enough time to prepare. You got a big main event for the Abu Dhabi card in October. 
and that and that'd be great. I mean, can't can't wait for that fight. That fight, that, like I said, you can't get excited for that fight. I don't know what gets you excited in MMA. I don't know because that's I mean, eleven the, the, fight win streak, ten fight win streak. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm agreeing with you 100. percent And I just want to add on to that. Like the division is so good, it doesn't deserve a vacant title. Let's get this over with. Let's, let's it, clearly let's get that fight booked. Uh, yep, exactly. It's good book. I mean, what a great performance from Oliveira. I mean, I only got performance. Oh yeah, he missed weight. So he didn't get performance bonus, which I mean, plus point five in controversy. But this gets pay per view points, so which is a good thing for Oliveira. So if pay per view did well, he's gonna get some good money back. So he lost from the whole situation with the scale. So I mean, either way, good you know, good for Oliveira and Justin Gaethje. I mean, well. I, I mean, what's next for Gaethje? I mean, I I think for him, I only might see a rematch with Dustin Poirier. It's been four years since they last fought. I think both guys come up with the loss of Charles Oliveira for the, well, yeah, for the championship. If Gaethje could have won the title, if he beat, uh, beat Oliveira, he would have been champion. Both guys come up championship losses to Oliveira. They both two the top five lightweights. They had a, a great fight in 2018. That was a candidate for fight a year, four years ago. Which I can't believe it's been four years since they last fought, since they fought. That's crazy, but yeah, I think it's a perfect rematch for both guys, Poirier and Gaethje. Oh uh, yeah, and uh, the only yeah that that's the perfect fight right now, especially considering that there isn't much. Um, everyone else in the division is tied up with their own business, at, at, as far as uh, what what we see potentially for other guys. But right now, yeah, that's the next fight for Justin Gaethje and for Oliveira. Like I said, man. This title does not deserve to be vacant for too long, and Oliveira most definitely deserves to be in that title fight because he's kind of technically never lost it. Yep, exactly. We'll, well, we can move on from this fight to the next fight, the co-main event on the card. Um, Carla Esparza versus Rose Namajunas. Carla Esparza wins this fight via split decision and so she gets the UFC Women's Strawweight Championship that's what happened it happened yeah I mean I mean let, 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 let's just be right this, this fight sucked. It, sucked it was the worst fight ever it's up there with Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou, which is one, of the, which I always say is the worst fight I've ever seen, most of the points I've ever been in, and this is up there. I mean, this is up there with Tim Sylvia and Andre Olowski three when Choji fights. Up there with um, Willie and um, Wonder Boy two. I didn't know there was a knockdown at the end, but that fight was just oof. It's up there with those fights and any other fight I'm thinking, and there's probably other fights that were boring that, that didn't live up that that were awful. I'm probably forgetting. I mean, people bring up Anderson Silva and um, Damian Maya, but at least Anderson Silva in the first round, the first minute, first round and a half was actually piecing up Maya, then decided to coast, which regardless, probably worse than what um, this is bad, what Rose and Carl did in their, in their fight. But this was not a good fight at all. I mean, Dean Thomas said best, everybody loses after the first round. I mean, he, they, everyone lost. I think, yeah, I mean, Cause that I mean, it, I, I when the first round happened, I thought it was just two girls being patient. I thought okay, they're being patient. Maybe they'll let loose in the second round. They just want to feel each other out. But it didn't happen. It did not happen. It was just 
I mean, Carla went for some takedowns, and Rose got up from some of them. Some of them she landed, but Rose got up. It's like, but... No, but, but see, this is the, the crazy part. She... Carla got the takedown for a moment, but then Rose was able to get back up. So she, like, you, like, there was some takedowns they didn't count, and then there was some that they did count, but Rose was able to get up instantly. Other than that, Carla couldn't provide any offense in space like that. No, exactly. No, and and with they were Rose, I think she's the first person we're probably most frustrated with. I mean, Carla, too, obviously, because Carla. I don't know why she didn't go for more takedowns, or at least she would take down, you know, fake, fake shot, fake she would take down to where she can throw overhand or something and catch Rose off. But you know, Carlos there is blame, but also Rose. I mean, Rose. It wasn't like Rose was getting dominated. She was moving like she was defensively. She was moving well, like stand up wise. Like she was, you know, active. She was moving back side to side. She just didn't. Which it's yeah, it looks good. You know, your defense looked great, but striking wise, but. You got engaged. You got put offense as well, and she didn't do that. And that's a well. Go ahead and say because something else I want to bring up. Well, go ahead. Because she like mentioned something like how oh uh, people want to see her get into a brawl, and it's like it's not seeing you get into a brawl. Nope. It's seeing you fight. Like you're a fighter, so fight. And that means throw punches. And not only that, but you're a mixed martial artist, so you better throw some kicks in as well. The option to throw the leg kick was there all night, and she never explored it any of the time. This was the worst fight ever. Yeah, it was. And it's a, and it's a shame, because Rose is an entertaining fighter. She's really entertaining. I mean, you want to fight, the Wei Li fights, the two Jessica and Josh fights were entertaining. I mean, it's not, and I mean... And you know what's crazy? If I'm sorry for cutting you off, but you just bringing up so much valid points, and I'm just agreeing with you. I just want to add, especially when you mentioned the Wei Lee fight, the second time around, it was the similar strategy. But remember, she provided way more offense. She she took her down. She did things on top of her. Like she actually was offensive. You're right about that. You're absolutely right. She was not offensive. No, and it's ridiculous. And one thing I want to point out that uh, that shocked me was the commentary mentioned this that I forget which round, but I think it might have been after the second to the third or third to the fourth. I don't remember. Uh, her Rose's corner were talking to her, and her and her one of her coaches slash husband um, Pat Barry was mentioning, you know, that you're winning. This is good. The crowd's booing. That's good. You're means you're having success. Which I'm like. Why would you say that? That is a dumb statement to make, especially Pat Barry, a former fighter, UFC fighter, who should know better. And then apparently Whitman was saying, was, was telling her to be more aggressive. Ter Whitman, you know, Rose's head coach, was telling her to do more, I believe. But I mean, I think, I think, uh, way, I listened to Way In and, you know, Josh Thompson, Big John, they are correct that the coaches deserve some deserve blame for this fight as well, especially Rose's yeah. coaches, because. They, instead, you know, instead of telling that she's doing well, she's winning. Yeah, she may look good defensively, doing things you want her to do, but she's losing because she's not being offense, not doing up offense. And worst thing you can do is tell Fire that in a close fight that she's winning or he's winning or that they're doing well because it forced them not to kick up, you know, pick up the action. Exactly. And Pat Barry, especially Pat Barry, who shouldn't, I, she, he should know better. I mean, I get he's Rose's husband, but at the same time, you're, he's a former fighter himself. Who should know that you gotta be careful with the judges just because you may feel like you're doing something well isn't the judges see it and watching it that wasn't the case i mean 
I'm just, I mean, that that's bad coaching from Ro, for, for Rose, especially from her husband. I'm not even going to lie. They, like, <laughs> the worst part about it was, like, it was so bad. I just, like, at some point, everyone had the thought of wanting the referee to say, like, you guys got to fight or something. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yes. As a matter of fact, that's a good point. The commentary team brought it up. I think Herb Dean did it. I forget which fight it was, but DC Herb Dean... brought up, like, it, like it, at least back in the Pride days, someone would have had, like, the referee had the option of throwing up a yellow card and saying, like, you guys aren't throwing enough uh, 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 combos right now. You're just dancing around. Because it, like, that's the truth. Like, it, at the end of this, it didn't, I, I didn't feel like Carla won the fight. I feel like, I know, it wasn't like Carla, you know, she just did enough, but Carla herself didn't exactly fight all that well either. I know we're talking about Rose a lot, but like I mentioned, Carla could have done better. She deserves some blame in this yeah, fight too. This is the thing, like, I, we know for sure Rose lost the fight because she didn't fight. But Carla obliged to not fighting. Which is weird. I, I it's because Carla has the victory over Rose. It's not like if she loses the Rose, oh I'm you know, I can't get their towel fight. You have the victory over her. She should have taken I say you don't want to take dumb risks, but you gotta take risk. It's fighting. Fighting's always risky. I understand I'm not you know, we're not fighters, but you gotta know fighting is full risk. Sometimes you gotta do things to gain what you want. I'm not even gonna lie, man. It just, I, you know what? I'm not even. Let me not accuse that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But you know what I was about to say. I know what you're about to say. I I know. I, let me I not even accuse that. We just we, the last thing I'm gonna say. Last thing I'm gonna say is, coming off of the amazing fight that Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano had, where they packed MSG and shut it down because that that was a fight. That was a good fight. This fight was a disservice to women's combat. I agree. This this is a service to women's combat, especially the 115 division, which you've heard me say numerous times is the best women's division in MMA. And it is still. But the, the championship fight for that division did not deliver and did a disservice to that great division. It's if a shame, any, too. If any title should have been vacant after this event. If there was any title that should have been vacant after this event. Yes. <laughs> it should have been that strawweight championship. Because I'm, I'm just going to say this. Neither of them deserve to win that title. And truthfully, we all lost. And we're continuing to lose while we're, by we're, us talking about this fight. I was going to say, I'll say one name before we move on. There's actually two winners. Just two. Well, two in the teams. Two winners in this fight. You want to get Jacek and Wei Li Zhang because both women are 0-2 against Rose, and Rose not being champion means they their fight next month can have title implications. Maybe whether not the deserve or not, maybe not. You know, Marina Rodriguez is on a roll, and I, I know she she wants a title fight next. Marina, that's you know, considering you know, gonna have new blood in that strawweight title picture. Considering four, you know, you know, the past four or five champions have been Carla, Rose, Joanna, and Wei Li. And of course, Andrade as well. Somebody's gonna have some try get new blood, maybe in the title picture. That's in what I was arena. about to say. And Andrade is, oh wow, they got her on both, uh, um, on both rankings. But yeah, Andrade is definitely a viable content. Like 
I'm uh, like truthfully, everyone in the division won with that title with that title fight because they all now are like, you know what? I got a chance. Carla Esparza cannot turn down any call out. No, she can't. She cannot. Especially after that. No, that I totally agree with you there. You're you're on the money there, Dan. I mean, okay. yeah, this was this was all time worst fight. all time worst fight ever. This is terrible. Awful. Let's talk about terrible. something else. That something that was good, entertaining, exciting. Also sad as well. If you're a fan of Tony Ferguson. The lightweight fight between Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson ends in the second round via <clears throat> knockout front kick by Michael Chandler. 17 seconds into the second round, as you see that image of Ferguson just getting that front kick. You're watching on YouTube or on video. I mean, damn, just damn. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm almost gonna swear. I know, but man, it's just Tony Ferguson looked good in the first round. He really did. I mean. Ah, uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of people felt like that. Unfortunately, Tony didn't choose that route. Unfortunately, getting knocked out. A lot of people felt like sleep, like Tony, when watching Rose, Rose and Carla rematch. They did. I mean, uh, we'll, 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 Oops, sorry. Uh, we'll talk about yeah, sorry. yeah, we'll talk about that yeah, after. We'll the talk fight. about that as well. Yeah. Yeah, but back to Tony and Michael. Great fight. This was entertaining. It delivered. I mean, I'm not, the, the two lightweight fights delivered. Let's expect it. Gaethje Oliveira and this fight. They both were excellent, good fights. I mean, Tony Ferguson dropped Chandler in the first round. Although Chandler was a little off balance, but still he got he fell after a punch from Ch um, Ferguson. And base and Ferguson gone. No, excuse me. Yeah, Ferguson. No wait. No. Ch okay. I, I'm sorry. I'm misremembering my what happened. God, there was one point where Chandler took down Ferguson. Really got a great takedown. I mean, Tony was kind of flew it in was the air. A, oh, yes. Yes. It was a great, like, he just, like, it, it was, uh, hey, by now you got to know Michael Chandler's, uh, uh, um, strong guy. Great, strong no, wrestler. you just got to know his style because he has that, he's similar to Kyoji or Gucci in the way he darts in, darts out. And he's just like, he's throwing with this, you know, just darting in and darting out. And Tony just thought he was just going to back up. And Tony was just like, you know what? I'm just going to block it and he's going to back up. But then he scooped up Tony's legs. Looked that way. He was going to slam him. Boom! Got him down. It was a great slam. You were absolutely right. That was a great slam. But then Tony, like you said, Tony was able, was game. Continue. Yeah, and Tony was it was. He was throwing a lot of elbows off his bottom, which Ferguson, if you take him down, he's going to throw elbows off his bottom. He's deadly off. He's one of the few fighters where where, where, he's on, where on his back, he's just as deadly as being on top. I mean, his elbows were landing. They're, they even cut um, Chandler. He had like a cut somewhere in, I forget where. And even his eye was like, even Chandler mentioned in the post by interview, his eye kind of got messed up by Ferguson, by those elbows. It's the point where... I think he was seeing double vision or something. I forgot what he said, but don't tell the commission. You know, the Rogan after the post by interview. And Ferguson did very well. Chandler landed some, you know, strikes of his own on top, but Ferguson was doing more off his bottom. And old Tony Ferguson came back. Tony Ferguson had won 12 in a row. That was one of the best lightweights in the world. He looked like it. It was like, okay, Tony's back. Tony, you know, it's going to be a very tough fight for Chandler. But, but the second round comes and Chandler does that front kick, which... And once that lands, it was good night, Irene Ferguson just fell. I mean, 
he was out cold. I mean, it was shocking. Everyone was shocked. My brother was was like screaming top screaming top of his lungs when that happened, which I don't blame him because that was so damn unexpected. The whole crowd was losing it. Every MMA fan watching this was losing it. I mean, it's just, I mean, man, it's a contender for knockout a year. It's a contender for it. Uh, that and Molly McCann's spin elbow are the two knockouts that are knockout a year worthy. But damn, Michael Chandler. Michael freaking Chandler. My gosh. I mean, go, go ahead, Dan. Speak on what you're tossing in this fight. Cause I've been talking long enough. I know you want to get out there and say your words. Like, wow. This was... This was crazy. Like, and you, you, it's because you knew, like, <sighs> let me get it together. I'll see you at the top. Let me get it together. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Like, it was, it was a tough round to the, to that first round. But we were like, I think everyone unanimously was like, you know what? Tony got that round. He looked really good. But Michael Chandler looked really good, too. He did end the round on top, but Tony was cutting him up from the bottom. And he was able to stumble uh, Michael Chandler as well. So it, it was like, you know what? We could give that round to Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson looked really, really good. El Kukui was back. El Kukui was back. And then 17 seconds into the round. And like the, the front kick was like he was throwing it. Michael like Michael Chandler was throwing it in the first round, but it didn't it didn't give any dividends. Like he threw it a couple of times and said, you know what, let me just get into to, to you know speeding back and forth. Also, I think after he got rocked the first time. He didn't want to throw the front kick anymore because he really kept stumbling and slipping. He also slipped again during the first round. I think you remember that. And it was also off of him trying to throw a kick or something like that. So he kind of abandoned the kick, uh, you know, early on in the first round. But then he comes back to it like he digs from the well. And my God, Tony Ferguson's body just crumbled. And you knew it. And It was just shocking. I needed four more backflips. <laughs> That's right, Chandler's backflips. I mean, good, good point, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm speechless, because this is really knockout contender this contender for knockout of the year like yes i mean it was... i debated between myself last night between this and molly mccann like which one is because like both both turn both tony ferguson and luana carolina got sent to the shadow realm we know that for a fact because tony like i think like the, the dialogue they were having i think they were explaining to tony what he got hit with when he finally got sat up on the on the and Joe Rogan was was like I remember while while Michael Chandler was running around the ring celebrating it, and he hopped up on top of the cage and he's like you know 
letting the crowd in and bask in the celebration and they're just like oh my god and I, oh, I, next time Jedi has to get the face cam so they can yes. see the faces of, of Rogan, <laughs> Rogan Anik and, and, and Cormier because Cormier literally he looked at Rogan for a little bit and turned back as Rogan's face goes yeah, you... <laughs> uh, bro, I, <laughs> that's right. Everyone was talking about Rogan's face during that knockout. Because Rogan's face is because it's like you don't see that. No, it's like don't. you do, like like I tried comparing it to Anderson Silva, but Anderson Silva was more of a karate front kick. Like Chandler, he, he looked like he just kicked off a a, 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 a a football for for kickoff. I think Silva I think Silva was the same like that. I think it was it was just like that personally. But nah, I but Sil- I, No, because Silva was like I think you know what you know what it is also? Because Silva's frame and the different because he's yes. taller than Michael Chandler. Lankier than Chandler. Chandler's more built. It's like a like a yeah, you know. and not only that, if you remember um 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 the, the um, um damn who was it again? Silva against Vitor. I'm, Vitor, I think Vitor was was leaning forward a little. Yeah, he was when Sil- Yeah, he was leaning forward and Silva threw it. So Silva's foot didn't have to come up as high as 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 um as Michael Chandler's foot, but Chandler's foot came up there and he looked like he kicked off a football. For he looked yo, he looked like if football did guest kickoffs. They would have been like, here, go ahead. You can kick, you can punt, you can get the first kickoff. For, you can kick off the first game for the NFL. Because that's what he just, that's what he did. And Tony was, and Joe Rogan was like, oh my God, Tony is still out and his legs are crossed. I remember that. Like, you, it's so, you don't forget a knockout like that. You don't. I mean, this is like, this is like kind of like, I thought, I mean, I don't know which one was, was more, I mean, this, it's crazy because this, uh, I'm thinking of this one that Gio Vera, one, one he did to Frank Yego in November at Madison Square Garden where, I mean, if you look at the image of both guys that are getting kicked, like, their image is very slim, like, how their faces go when they get kicked from the front kick. Yeah, Frank Yeager's face was just like that when Cheeto Vera did to him. It, it, it's just like, I mean, Mike, Mike's like, damn, it's, it's like, I, I mean, I, I think Chandler. I don't know which one was more impressive between Cheeto and um and um Chandler. It, 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 I mean, it depends. I mean, whatever you think is more impressive, I can't argue too much. But I mean, jeez. I mean, what a I don't know where knockout. I mean, my I mean, damn. We knew Chandler's hands are dynamite. We, we I mean, he has some great knockouts. The one he did with Chicky Pitbull two and Bellator is one. Of the, I think one of the most underrated knockouts in MMA history. Cause his hands move so damn quick. You haven't watched that? Go check it out. Cause that knockout is freaking impressive as f. I can't say it, but you know what I mean. It's one, but I mean, but to him throw a kick and knockout someone, let alone Tony Ferguson, who does not get knocked out or finished. I knew Gaethje finished him, but that was after a beatdown, getting a lot of damage. It wasn't because of one or two or three shots. It was yeah. And for him <sighs> to do that at Ferguson of all people, it's just like, damn. It, I mean, if you're a Tony fan, it was kind of sad to see 
It kind of, it was it's kind of like back in the day when Liddell got knocked out by Rashad Evans. It was kind of like sad because two guys here are legendary chins all of a sudden getting knocked out for one shot. Kind of like that. I mean, but I, I I think the star of this show was Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler stole the pay per view. It was his show. From like the the kick landed, he ran around the ring. Jumped on top of the barricade, celebrated with the crowd, then gave us, he gave us one backflip, then he gave us two backflips, then he gave us three backflips, he said, you know what, y'all need one more, and gave us four backflips, my god, and then he, yeah. Chandler is just so energetic, and I love it, man, you, you give him the microphone, and he knows what to do. He knows what to do. He had a possibility of fighters, man. Yep. He said, "Me." He said, "Whoever wins this fight between Oliveira and Gagey, I could get in the ring with either one of them. I'm gonna shake it." Or you know what, Conor McGregor, you I haven't seen you in the ring in a while. Blow the roof off this place. You at your best, me at my best. At 170. Let's go. And it's like. I agree. That's what it is. I agree with you. It's, it's, I mean, Michael Chandler, that promo, that interview cut was so damn good that, I mean, the people who do he, he, the heels of the rain, you know, the crew, the crew that does that show can appreciate that Michael Chandler promo. Where be, I am healed, dad, and everyone else. I mean, even uh, I forget the rest. The wrestler's name we interview. I forget his name. Oliver. Um, dang, I'm forgetting his name. The, it's, I apologize. Such good yeah, promo. they can appreciate that. They can appreciate that promo. A pro wrestling fan can appreciate that because he he that is that is very elite level promo stuff right there. I mean, he cut it was brilliant. He called the winner of the main event, considering he has history of both guys and both, and he was an entertaining fight to both. I mean, he was in fight a year with Gaethje back in November, and then he called out Conor McGregor as well, the biggest star in MMA, a guy that you know he's one of generally the lightweight that McGregor hasn't fought yet, and you know McGregor's getting a little big. He said, "Let's do a 170 then, where you're your best, I'm at my best," and the way he sold it, it's like. I before this before this fight, no one was thinking about McGregor coming back against Chandler. Like no one, that wasn't in anyone's mind. But what the Michael Chandler did, now is that's what people are talking about. McGregor Chandler next. I mean, I'm not even gonna lie. I like McGregor is a star, bro. I'm not like the, the like the UFC is doing fine without him. Yeah, but come on now, uh, yeah. like a, a, a Conor McGregor promo. Is nothing like a Conor McGregor promo, especially when he's the bad guy, when he gets the strut, when he like when his music hits. Conor's a star, man. And like it was like, who did we want to see him fight against? Nate Diaz said no, he doesn't want to do the trilogy. Yeah. Uh, D Dustin Poirier, we don't want to see that again. Yeah. At that point, like who else for Conor? And it's like not for nothing if. If if Michael Chandler could, could win that fight, if Michael Chandler could win that fight, he gets any fight he wants, man. Yeah, exactly. He gets any fight he wants, including a, a, a title fight. 
Now, if he beats McGregor, I mean, Chandler, I mean, this was what I mean. Michael Chandler, he was a star tonight. It, he 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 delivered. He came through and delivered and stole the show. I mean, Michael freaking Chandler did a fantastic job. The fight itself, the knockout, the, pro, the promo. I mean, my gosh, Michael Chandler. I mean, for a guy who wasn't a big wrestling fan, as he want, as he said on the Ariel Shawani show, he, he didn't grow up watching pro wrestling. He really, he's really done a good job with his promos, like a pro wrestling fan. I mean, this is like, Tron, I mean, McGregor can appreciate a good promo. I'm pretty sure Chael can appreciate the promo he cuts. I mean, any pro wrestling fan, show them this, they can appreciate what Chandler did. Yeah, it was but not phenomenal. only that. He did a he did a he did a tremendous service not only to the sport but to Dana White. He he like this was the reason if you wanted to like you know just if there was a saving grace for this card, it was his Michael Chandler fight and even him calling people out. It helps with progression in the sport because now we know who we want to see next. And Michael Chandler like I'm. He's not a fight night guy. He's he's not a fight night guy. I mean, him, if they do him McGregor, that could be the main event pay per view. Just McGregor of Chandler, and it makes sense. Well, McGregor was anyone makes sense, but especially Chandler. So you mentioned he's not a fight night guy. He's a pay per view guy. I'm I'm not even gonna lie. He's he's kind of in that rare. I'm I'm about to say something that sounds weird, but. He's in the rare realm of those pay-per-view stars like a Connor, like a Jorge Masvidal. Those two guys, a Nate Diaz. You're not getting Nate Diaz or Nick Diaz. You're not getting the Diaz brothers on a fight night. Nope. You're not getting Conor McGregor on a fight night. And you're not getting, and now I can add this name for sure, and Jorge Masvidal as well. You're not getting Jorge Masvidal on a fight night. And you're definitely not getting Michael Chandler on a fight night. This guy is pay-per-view. He's box office. He is box office. Oh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. I totally agree. Like, I mean, even... (laughs) You said it. Like, even the last two fights he lost, it's Oliveira and Gagey. But those were exciting fights. And both were exciting fights. On top of the, he came in in the entrance with a bang against Dan Hooker, coming off of being a, a, a substitution fighter. When everyone was kind of angry, it was like, "Oh, why is Michael Chandler that big of a deal?" And then he came in and was like, "Hey, I am a showstopper with Dan Hooker." Then he gets into the ring with Oliveira, and even though he lost, like that was entertaining. Then he gives you fight of the night with Justin Gagey and that like year. that was the fight of the year with Justin Gage. Fight of the night, fight of the year. Cause that was oh my god. And then this he's he's a pay-per-view star. He has to be now. If he ain't he, he is now. He's a fit it doesn't matter. He fights McGregor next or Maybe he fights someone else. It's got to be on pay-per-view. doesn't matter It's got to be on pay-per-view. Yeah, Michael Chandler do, is a pay-per-view star. Yeah, so you do him and Darius, the winner fights the winner of Oliveira and Islam, have to be on pay-per-view. Oh, is that next? I mean, that, I mean that's a possibility, too. If he doesn't get McGregor fights, it could be he has, he has options. He, he, he could even step in against Oliveira again for the vacant title 
and I wouldn't have a problem with that. Me neither. I'll be excited. I like to see the the, show, the rematch. Yeah. Totally Chandler agree. is in a he's in a good space right now. Yes, he is. He definitely is. And man, Tony Ferguson. I mean, I think you and I were talking about this like before we went on the air about. You know, like what's next for Tony and how Dana White talked about how because someone asked Dana, do you think Tony's best days are done to where he should retire? And Dana White said, no. I mean, anyone can get caught by that. Any anyone can get caught with that. That doesn't mean he should retire. And I agree with Dana. Dana's right. Yet he, you know, Tony just got caught with front kick that that could knock out probably 90% of all the roster. Even guys, even even like a guy like Kamara Usman who's pound for pound. If he gets catches like that, he might get knocked out even. I mean, that's just and one over, of those things. Any, an overhand right or a front kick, anything get like like that, it's once it rattles the brain enough, they're all mortal at the end of the day. Yeah, I totally agree. Tony Ferguson prior to that looked like the old Tony Ferguson. He looked very well. He was sharp. He looked he did the elbows off his back, cutting people up, he dropped Mako. I mean, so for Tony, I mean I I mean, whatever he does next, he's definitely still he still got a dangerous guy, and maybe instead of getting these elite, super elite guys, they can fight lately. Maybe throw someone to maybe the low top ten for him to fight next. That's just me. I mean, but then again, like this is the thing. Like, I, we, we, you could definitely do that. So it it would be a choice between keeping Tony Ferguson ranked or you're introducing some parity into the division. But my whole thing is like Tony, like. I know we're talking about this, but we still remember amongst ourselves, Tony won the first round. Yeah. Tony won the first round. So we definitely shall see what's next for Tony Ferguson. He is still a mainstay in the division. Yes, he is. Definitely is a mainstay in the division for, for damn sure. And great fight. Great performance with Tekko Chandler. And it was needed because the fight previous to this, previous to that, was not a great fight either. Between three matching Shogun and OSP, and this fight, this fight made me sad. The reason why is because I'm a big Shogun Hua fan, and seeing Shogun in a boring fight where there's low activity was something I never thought I'd ever see, and it happened. And it's like, and it's just if you're, and this is not Shogun. This is not the guy who won a 205 middleweight Grand Prix. In my opinion, the greatest tournament in MMA history. This is not the guy who defeat Luo Machida for the light heavyweight championship. This is not the guy who was part of, my opinion, the greatest fight in MMA history. Him and Dan Henderson won. You know, he lost that fight. That fight is so, is so damn good. It's my favorite fight of all time. He's not. This is not the guy who gave us great knockouts and pride in the UFC. This is not that guy. This was... This, and OSP, too, is older himself. I mean, he's not a strange chicken either. OSP's had some good performances. Sometimes he's very hit and miss. Sometimes he can be a great performance, and then do something where it looked unmotivated but this this was this was not but this fight was not what I thought it was I didn't think it was gonna be fighting nine contender but I thought it'd be more entertaining this wasn't it I mean I I'm, it makes sense that Shogun wants to retire after one more fight and it's the right time for Shogun to retire yeah I agree this I'm Neither of these fighters go nowhere. I think both of these fighters should retire. I know Ovin St. Prue is not going to retire yet, but he should because this, this is just a terrible fight. I just, um, this was a terrible fight. I agree. 
That's all about the first fight. It was it was a good good fight to open the car. I thought it was between Randy Brown and and Chaos Williams. And Randy Brown beats beats Chaos Williams via split decision, 29-20, and two judges scorecards, 28-29. The other one going for Chaos Williams, and Randy Brown looks very well. His, his striking defense looks very good. I mean, he was dodging with head good head movement, just making Chaos miss. I mean, a few times Chaos landed, it did affect Randy badly. He dropped Randy the first round. With short right hand, I didn't notice until they showed the replay. And the third round, he caught him too. Where Randy was like, "Ooh, you know, chaos got power. We all know chaos can knock dudes, <laughs> excuse me, out any time." And Randy Brown was just sticking and moving, attacking them, throwing combinations, but also getting out the way. Great head movement. It was frustrating Chaos Williams because Chaos kept throwing punches with power, with vicious tension, and he couldn't land. And Randy Brown just kept. Kept moving, kept moving out the way. Great, like I said, great head movement, great body movement too overall, and just kept touching Chaos Williams. And I thought the, and I thought that he did that so well and deserved the victory over Chaos Williams. So Rain Brown gets a great victory representing Jamaica and Queens, New York. He lives in Queens, fights out of Queens as well. I want to shut that out? Yeah, I, I agree 100. Um, percent This is going to be learning tape for Chaos Williams completely because he. I, I, like we've seen him go through three round wars before and we know he like the power lasts through three rounds yeah. we know that so my issue with chaos williams was uh watching this fight he, he kind of was a little too confident in his power and then just kept you know uh, uh loading up too much in certain shots and then he would kind of rush in a little with just striking because his boxing is very good. But Randy Brown, he, you know, he had that length over him and then just kept, you know, keeping him at bay at distance. Chaos Williams provided a little bit of head movement, but it wasn't enough to throw Randy Brown off. So for me personally, in regards to Chaos Williams, there's going to be a lot of tape. Maybe he has to learn to diversify the striking and not, uh, you know, be so not be so lenient on the power if you know you have it in your back pocket and we've seen it last two three rounds you know you can make someone sleep easily then it's okay you can you know you can diversify the strike and throw some leg kicks you know try and get into the clinch things of that nature he he, he didn't also throw a lot of body shots either the only yeah. when he did throw body shots he got some success but after that he went away and just kept headhunting randy brown and that's not the way to do that against such a skilled fighter like Randy Brown. But this was a good fight. This was a very, very good fight. Uh, I agree. And Randy Brown, he's, he's starting to put a, a little trick together. I think this is his third or fourth victory in a row. No, I think fourth fight. Third or fourth, I don't remember. But it's one of those two. But Randy Brown, guy, he's been UFC for a while. And, well, well not for a long time, but for a little bit. You know, he's not a, new, he's not a newcomer anymore. He's not a newcomer. And he's putting on a trick together where he's right there near the top 15 in that welterweight division. He's right... I mean, it would it would make it would make sense for him to fight someone that's ranked between maybe ten to fifteen. He's right there. He's closed on the rankings. I mean, good victory I'm, for him. I'm not gonna lie. He's got to start climbing up the rank. You see it. He's on. You're absolutely right. He's on a three fight winning streak. His last loss was against Vicente Luque. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I mean, like I said, representing Jamaica very well. I mean. It seems like everybody knows that there's starting to be like a like some Jamaican fighters doing well. I'm starting noticing that you got Al Jermaine Jamaican, you know he's the champ. You know, you know, yeah, Randy Brown, and then also 
Leon Edwards and his brother Fabian are both originally from Jamaica, and they moved to England when they were young. But it was, you know, you know, Fabian fights in Bellator, and Leon obviously UFC Buffalo Championship. I just, I just, I just realized that they're starting to see a little bit, you know, more, you know, Jamaicans starting doing well. So it's, it's not, you know, it's something I want to point out because I just realized it last night when I thought about. It. I was like, ah, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, most definitely. Shout out to the Jamaicans. Shout them out. Yep. Love Jamaican people, but that's another story. Great people, but yeah. Let's talk about the prelims. I mean, anything you want to mention in the prelims? Um, first fight that I want to mention in the prelims, Lupi, uh, Lupita Godinez versus Ariane Car- Carnelosi. Lupi Godinez wins this fight via unanimous decision. And Lupi had a great night and her family had a great weekend. I think her two sisters just won some uh, gold in their um, in their wrestling uh, competition. So congratulations to the Godinez family. And Lupi yep. was able to secure this fight. It was a dominant performance for Lupi Godinez. Uh, striking wise, she was uh, she she had it. And then when it came to mixing it up with the martial arts into the clinch and then taking it down to the ground, she had uh, Carnelosi just like just in a whirlwind and it was just complete it was a complete fight from Lupi Godinez and she's trying to fight next week as well I love it from Lupi I absolutely love it she that's who she is though and it that was a great fight is is there a fight that you want to shout out in the uh preliminaries yes I want to shout Andre Fialo against uh, Andre Fialo uh, why, why is it possible in my mind again Cameron Van Camp Van Camp, there we go. Cameron Van Camp. Andre with impressive first round knockout with a left hook. I think it was a left hook that dropped Van Camp. I mean, Andre Fiala, I, when I found he was on his car, I was shocked because he had just fought like three weeks, three weeks earlier in the Luke Muhammad car against Miguel Baeza. In that fight, Miguel did catch him a couple of times. I think dropped him, if I'm mistaken. Nah, he just stunned him and made him uh, uh, wobble back to the cage. Okay, yes, he stumbled. He was stumbling, wobbling back to the cage, and yet he was able to finish Miguel Baeza. Though, not surprised that short, short, such short notice he turned around and fought on his pay-per-view card. But it worked out. He got an impressive victory, which I think he got a performance bonus, if I'm not mistaken, which he deserved because that was a great victory. I mean, vicious knockouts. And he mentioned he wants to fight again in in Singapore, the next pay-per-view, in June 11th in Singapore. And apparently, he says he already got a fight for that card, which. I'm, which damn, I'm, I'm impressed. I mean, I guess it's a total UFC ahead of time. They, well, they got they they just went waiting to see Stevie win, and he did. And I and I like this from Andre Fialo. He's he this is, this is his third fight this year because he made his debut against Michelle Pereira in UFC 270, the Ngannou Gone card. And you know he lost that he lost that fight. He did well early on, but just that uh, Pereira made adjustments and was able to beat Fialo. And then Fialo beats Baeza. Now he beats um, Van Camp. And he, he's trying to, I guess, do what I call the Hamza Shemayev route, fight very actively and win, and win a bunch of fights to get your name out there, or or the um, Kevin Holland route actually, because Holland did it in 2020 as well, fought five times, one step, yeah, fought five times seven months, which I can't blame him. I mean, you win, you fight very active, very often, and you win these fights, you, you get a bigger buzz among the among the MMA community, which then leads you to get paid more and also. It puts you close to the rankings, so shout out to Andre Fialo. Yeah, most definitely. Even with him getting rocked earlier, that was 
because he got rocked also in this fight as well and he was still able to come back and deliver that left hook but that was a great fight uh, uh another fight i want to shout out in the um preliminaries brandon roy val versus match now uh brandon roy val was able to win this fight two minutes and 14 seconds into the first round via a guillotine choke brandon roy val man he is a bad dude he is a bad dude he's he's still that that highly touted prospect he's still that guy i know he had a bit of a string of bad luck here and there but man this was a good fight for him and uh, this also got a bonus, uh, a fight of the night bonus, where both him and Matt Schnell got uh, uh, bonuses. Because Matt Schnell also did put up a great fight, but Brandon Roy Val, man, this was just a good fight. Okay, and I also want to shout to uh, Francisco Trinaldo when when his fight against um, Danny Roberts in the in the main event, the prelims. It was, it was originally supposed not supposed to be. It was supposed to be uh, Williams and uh, and Rennie Brown, but Cowboy Cerrone and Joe Lozon didn't happen because Cowboy got sick, unfortunately, and they had to cancel that fight. So this became the main event, the prelims, Ronaldo and Danny and Danny Roberts and Cowboy and Ronaldo at 43 years old, winning, winning, doing very well and winning against Roberts. Here, Roberts in that second round dropped him, dropped him a body shot, I believe, or hurt him badly and went for guillotine. And for guys, 43, you know, got uh, another guy in early mid 40s. Still came up with the young guys and doing well and being them, like you and Romero talked earlier. Trinado yeah, did the he, same thing. Yeah, but he looked like I'm just crazy. He looked younger than uh, both Ovens and Maru uh, and uh, Shogun. He looked younger than both of those guys, but That's he. True. <laughs> but yeah, that, yeah, absolutely right. That was a good uh, performance. Any other performance you want to shout out? Um. Uh... I can't think of hmm. I, I I can't think of of any that I'm aware right. of. That's it. So then um we we finish off with the 274 USC 274 quite the mixy card. But before we end off the coverage of 274, we do want to have a special shout out to DC Double Chant Daniel Cormier. He's been inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame along with Habib Nurmagomedov. DC, man, a, a Hall of Fame career he's having. He's having on the broadcast table, but a Hall of Fame career he most definitely had during his run in the UFC as a fighter. Both light heavyweight and heavyweight uh, uh, champion. The epic battles he's had with Stipe Miocic. The epic battles he's had with John Jones epic battle he had with Francis Ngannou he put on Nishigano. shows man huh no yeah Francis. I, said, I don't recall him fighting let me Gustafson I think that's what you mean no he fought Francis as well no I really I don't remember no that. was it no I think you're in Rumble no, I think you're in it was Lewis Lewis Derek Lewis I'm wildin'. Derek yeah, Lewis. Lewis yes yes Derek, Derek Lewis. Lewis excuse me but yeah, uh, Derek Lewis. That was a great fight where he just schooled Derek Lewis. Oh yeah, but, I yeah, that. yeah. Uh, um, Daniel Cormier, man, excellent, excellent career. Is there anything else you, uh, anything you want to shout out for DC? I mean, Hall of Famer for sure. Going the same year as Habib Nurmagomedov, his teammate, at American Kickboxing Academy, aka. So it's kind of a cool moment that he's going in with his good one of his close friends, Habib, and his teammate, Habib Nurmagomedov, both going the same year, and that. 
Cormier, like I said, double champ. He was the UFC heavyweight lightweight champion, and he and like I said, he had great performances. You know, great war. You know, that great trilogy fight with with um Stipe, where he especially that first one where he knocked out Stipe unexpectedly that right hook to win that weight title. And then of course, like I said, the Derrick Lewis fight we just destroyed Derrick Lewis, just schooled him badly. Also, the Strike Force heavyweight tournament I want to mention. I know this is not UFC, oh, yeah. but that you know he was. He was the alternate, and no, and he was a guy no one knew. And it was after that tournament, he won. Everyone knew Damian Cormier was because he he knocked out Bigfoot Silva after Bigfoot had just beaten Fedor, and he dominated Josh Barnett. I mean, picked him up and slammed him. Barnett's no small dude. Then his UFC run, he was just before you know he he came in like a and first on the scene immediately in UFC, being Frank Mir, Roy Nelson, you know Dan Henderson. We picked him up and slammed him because Dan Henderson, the credential wrestler. Of course, his rivalry John Jones is legendary. I mean, it's considering the hatred that those two have for each other and still somewhat do to this day. I mean, and then of course the Rumble Johnson fights were were very good considering Rumble was probably the scariest guy in the division at the time and Cormier beat him twice. Especially that first fight, we got dropped by Rumble, but came back and submitted him in the second round. And then the Alexander Gustafson fight, which I think is underrated and no one talks about in terms of all-time great fights. Cause that fight was very entertaining. It was back and forth. It was it to me. It's one. I think it's, it's one of the great title fights in UFC history. It's one of the most underrated fights in UFC history because of other momentum changes in that fight. So that then I mentioned that, and he's a legit Hall of Famer, one of the great all-time legends in the history of MMA. Daniel Cormier deserves it, and he's you know now he's in the commentary booth, which he's which he's done, which for the most part he's done a good job. I know some things I disagree with him at times, but overall been a very good commentator for the UFC and he deserves this so shout out Daniel Cormier most definitely man I'm all about that cake about that cake yeah, that's right I'm yep. all about that cake about that cake yeah check it <laughs> yep Cormier if, if you don't know what that is that's a reference to the world of May awards in 2015 with Daniel Cormier if you go watch that video you'll understand why Chef Dan said what he said the reference, to <laughs> the reference to Cormier in 2015 MMA Awards. Most definitely. But uh, from there, we could also move on to uh, just some boxing that happened over the weekend. Um, Canelo Alvarez lost, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, man, Bavoli defeated uh, Canelo after it went to decision. All three judges. Uh, scored it 115 to 113 for Bivol. Uh, uh, Dimitri Bivol defeated uh, Canelo Alvarez. A lot of the Canelo Alvarez fans were distraught after this one. But uh, Dimitri rightfully so won this fight. I think, um, what is it, from the 6th to the, what, 6th to the 10th round, he was beating on Canelo, man. He just, uh, Canelo tried doing a lot of the head movement, but it didn't work. That fancy head movement that he, he, he it works sometimes on other uh, boxers. It didn't work because Dimitri kept hitting him. Um, Canelo had some really good rounds earlier. He was walking down Dimitri a lot, but then as the round started to go on, Dimitri just had more energy than Canelo did, and he won the fight. But uh, yeah, that was that. That's some news that happened in boxing. From there, we could move on from that fight 
to Bellator 281. That's going to happen this Friday, uh, the 13th. It's going to start at 12.30. We have Michael Venom Page versus Logan Storley. This is to decide the Bellator MMA Interim Welterweight Championship. I... <laughs> Austin, you got to tell me what you see from this fight because I, I see a guy in Michael Venom Page who is a creative striker, a, a guy who is accurate and dynamic, and Logan Storley who's more so going to walk you down. He's got some, he, he, you know, he has some striking, but he, he'd more so prefer the grappling. What, what do you see from this fight? You're right about what you said about MV, uh, MVP and how MVP is a creative striker. I mean, he's got very flashy knockouts. A lot of his knockouts are super flashy. I mean, if, I mean, he's really. I mean, MVP can, is a very creative striker, very entertaining to watch when he knocks guys out. And Logan Sorley is a guy like you mentioned wants to push forward and definitely work on his striking and wrestle you and take you down. Considering he's an All-American at Minnesota, if I'm mistaken. Yeah, Minnesota. That's right. Because I, I mentioned that him and Brock Lesnar went to the same high school and same university. And he's all American, like Brock Lesnar was at wrestling. And this is a, it's a wrestler, grapple, wrestler versus striker matchup, the classic example. And this fight, it's gonna come down. Can MVP avoid getting taken down? And if he can get, if he gets get taken down, can he find a way to get up or present a challenge off his back? Because if he can't do that, then Logan Storch is gonna grapple and wrestle him to death and just dominate him on top position. But this fight in this, it stays the standing. MVP, it's MVP's fight because he's such creative. It's such a better striker that, you know, Logan Story is improving striking. Logan Story can't answer MVP. Can't can't match with MVP striking wise. He's just gonna MVP just gonna pick him apart until he gets a knock knockout or just beats him up for five rounds, goes to the decision. Because Logan Story is a tough guy, and this is a very good main event. Very good main event for an interim title. Originally, it's supposed to be MVP and Yemersov, Amsarov, but unfortunately, Amsarov is Ukrainian right now, and he and he decided to go fight in the army of Ukraine during the whole situation of, of uh, the whole war of Russia at the moment. So I mean, I mean, hopefully he's not in Donbass right now in that region, considering what's going on over there in the Ukraine-Russia situation, the, Don the eastern part of Ukraine. But I, I believe that he should be able to fight, come back and fight soon, despite you know being the Ukrainian military army at the moment. But, yeah, it was supposed to be Amsterdam and MVP, but because of the whole situation in Russia-Ukraine and Amsterdam being Ukrainian army, these, it's going to be postponed for later on this year. Who knows when? It all depends on what happens with the situation in Russia and Ukraine. And does, does Ukraine allow Amsterdam to defend the title and all that? But, but yeah, definitely a good fight. A very good main event. I think it, it, I'm very intrigued by it. The wrestling versus grappling. I mean, wrestling versus striking aspect of it. Excuse me. MVP, great striker, Logan Story, very great wrestler. Ace is going to come down to can MVP avoid getting taken down and can he get and can he be a threat off his back or get up? That's Most the big definitely. difference. I also think uh, the one thing we're going to have to see is um, can uh, MVP find some way to keep the spacing between him and Logan Storley at an appropriate range? He is the longer fighter, so if he can oh. negate some forward pressure from Logan Storley, I think that's going to dictate a lot of the fight. Totally agree. That's a very good point, Dan. That's an uh, excellent but, point. All right. Moving on from there, we have the co-main event. 
Lyoto Machida versus Fabian Edwards. I think this is striking versus striking, man. What what say you? I totally agree. Striking versus striking. I believe Fabian's actually Leon Edwards' brother. I believe that's his brother, actually. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Okay, yeah, I was just mentioning. looking at him. I, the name sounds familiar, and I knew Leon had his brother fighting Bellator. And so, yes, his brother. All right, so Fabian Edwards going against the legend Leo Machida, who, I mean, Machida, you know, this is not Machida of 10, 11 years ago or 13 years ago, but Leo Machida still could be dangerous on the feet. I mean, he still got that awkward karate style that at times gives some fire trouble. I mean, but if but I think Edwards is good enough, can be good enough to where you know Leo's got a lot of tape on them basically. That's what I'm trying to say. And maybe got you know guys have been starting to figure out how to deal with Leo Machida and his style, especially as you get older. And it's gonna come down to can Edwards you know find a way to neutralize you know that inside out um, tactic that karate guys tend to do. You know what I mean. That cry fires tend to do and stuff like that. Most and definitely. If he can do that, then he can have a lot of success against Leo Machida. And Violiotto, if you're able to get in and out and create space and you know touch Robbie, touch kind of like point fighting, but not really point fighting. That makes sense. You know, obviously Leo does. Leo's got a lot of finishes on his belt. The guy can finish. I mean, we see him finish plenty of dudes in the past. I mean, he's got two front kick knockouts. Would be Rain Couture and Vitor Belfort. I mean. That's another front kick knockout we didn't mention. Him and Vitor. Again. Yeah. I mean, for, for Vitor. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Leo Machida and is right, one, still one of the more exciting fighters in the in MMA, historically. And he's always a guy I look forward to watching. I think if you're Fabian, can you, like, neutralize the movement of Leo Machida and just try and, and just make him a stationary target to where you have, or I think you're good enough to have a lot of success against Yoto. And if Fabian Edwards can somehow beat Leo Machida in, in England, his home country, oh my, that'd be, that'd be the biggest victory of his career. It could do a lot of wonders for him, being a legend in Leoto. I agree with you 100%. Uh, this is um, this is striking versus striking, like you said. We, we know the book on how Leoto Machida is going to attack this uh, fight. We're going to find out with Fabian Edwards because you're fighting a legend right now. You're fighting an absolute legend. We're going to see how you do uh, moving on from that fight, we have in uh, uh, I don't see what weight class this is. Women's at. flyweight. Yeah, uh, Denise Kielholtz versus Kana Watanabe. Uh, do you know any of these fighters? Because yeah, like uh, I like I told you, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was gonna say yeah. Denise Kielholtz's last fight was against Julian Vasquez for the for the, the flyweight title back in July. And that was a controversial fight. That was a fight where some talk. Denise did enough to win as she should have got the victory. But yeah, but but she didn't get the victory and so she's returning her first fight since that loss against Watanabe, who's come off a loss to Liz Carmouche, which was Liz's last which was, you know, Liz's last fight before she fought Julian Vasquez and won the title, albeit controversially in their fight but that fight. So the two women who have who fought the two women who fought for the championship at, you know, last week I believe in no two weeks ago in Hawaii. And you know, both for both women, I think it's gonna be. I think I think it's gonna be like a, a lot of striking, but also some grappling as well. Cause I think Watanabe might have an advantage grappling wise. I can see it where if, if she does, she she may want to go for a takedown just to mix it up and throw Kenise, Denise off 
she might have an advantage there, potentially. I know she got three submissions along three KLT KOs, Watanabe, and Denise does. You know, Denise does have um, three submissions herself, but she's also got. But, but I think Watanabe it might be better for a goal to ground with Denise. That's just me, but could, could, I could be wrong. But I think it's gonna. I think Watanabe grappling wrestling is gonna be her key, and Denise keep it standing and and make it a striking affair. Alright, we shall see. Next fight on the main card. Paul Daly versus Wendell. I don't want to butcher this. Giacomo? Giacomo. How do you see this fight going? I don't know much about Wendell Giacomo. Originally it's supposed to be um, Paul Daly against Andre Koreshkov. Well, do, uh, know, do I do know, but Koreshkov couldn't go for some reason. Although I think it has to do with the Russia-Ukraine situation where British England's kind of like made it hard for Russian athletes to come in. I think that might be a thing. I don't know, because it's speculation on my part, but Kreshov couldn't... It, it didn't say illness or injury or anything. But um, but yeah, Kreshov couldn't go, so Wendell Giacomo steps in, on, steps in and takes on Paul Daly, who I think is retiring, if I'm mistaken. I think this is his last fight. Could be wrong, but I know he's mentioned that he wants to, you know, end his career soon. And if Daly's fighting his home, in front of his home country in England, the guy is a legend. He's a guy who's a really entertaining fighter. I mean, the guy's got, of his 42 victories, it's 30, 34 of them are by KO and TKO. So, I mean, that guy is a finisher. He either wins by knockout, KO, or decision. Paul Daly, he's got no submission victories at all. Paul Daly, he doesn't believe in submissions, as I like to say. Guy's been some entertaining fights back in the day in Strike Force, UFC. I mean, him and Nick Diaz might be one of the greatest one one round fights in the history of MMA. Him and Nick Diaz back in 2011 Strike Force got some highlight reel knockouts over the years. I mean, but when when G, G, uh, Giacomo has got four submissions, four KO and TKOs, so was nine victories. So I mean, Wendell's the finisher as well. So I can see. I, I think it's gonna be a finish in this fight. I don't know who's gonna win personally, but I think someone's getting finished. I, I mean, if Paul Daly wins, he might retire to his last fights. I don't know. I, I could be wrong about that, but either way, someone's getting finished, and it should be a good way, good fight in the card. All right. Next fight on the card. Uh, excuse me. Last, well, first fight to to kick off the main card will be Luke Trainer versus Simon Biong. Um, both fighters. Familiar. Yeah, both fighters with a relatively uh uh. uh relatively new record Luke Trainer starting off 5-0 and Simon Bayong's 7-2 and so I, I guess they need a little bit more fights in there um, uh, they need to be seen more on a, a professional stand so they might be starting off their professional career here yeah I, I agree I think these are two guys who are I'm not familiar with personally I can I mean I think oh wait you said this is the first professional fight or just first time on like a major promotion might be their first time on a major promotion. Give me one moment. Okay. I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, okay. uh, um, Luke Trainer did the uh, Bellator Euro Series. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Simon Bayong. He's had one fight in Bellator before. Okay. So, all right, all right. So. They're still relatively new to Bellator. You know, Simon yeah. does have a fine Bellator. But still, yeah, it's just they a new have, 
yeah, they each have one fight in Bellator right now. Okay. Makes sense. Alright, well, yeah, not too familiar, so this is a chance for guys, for one of them, to break out and do make make a name for himself and a date in a big car in London, England, on a Bellator, sh on a Bellator event on Showtime, which starts at 4 p.m. Eastern Time Zone because they are in London, in the United States, and prelims start at 12.30 on YouTube for... Free! It's for free! You can watch it for free on YouTube. Check it out, ladies and gentlemen. Just go to Bellator, go to their homepage. They'll have the video up for you to watch it for free. You can enjoy some free MMA fighting on YouTube. Some good violence for free. Friday. Kick your Friday off right in the afternoon, 1230. I'll be there. You'll be there. Yep, and... I guess we can move on to the UFC because the UFC does have an, an event Saturday the next day. Saturday on ESPN Plus, it's it, it's gonna be UFC. It's gonna be UFC Vegas uh, 54, the main event between Jan Blahovitz and Alex Rakic, two top three um, light heavyweights in the UFC lightweight division. Rakic number three, Jan number one. Jan's coming off the title loss to Glover Teixeira, and back in October in Abu Dhabi, and Rakic come off the victory over um, Anthony Smith. Um, it was, it was Tiago Santos, right? Anthony Rakic. I mean, Alexander Rakic. No, because Santos just lost to Ankalaev. Yeah. Who was his last victory? Rakic. Yes, yes, Santos. Oh, well, Santos, okay. Yes. Yeah, Rakic, yeah, Rakic is... So Rakic is coming in on a two-fight winning streak. I, before they had lost to, I believe... Not, I'm trying to... Who did he lose to Rakic? Oh, uh, Ozedmir. Oh, Volkan Okay. Okay, yeah. So Rakic is coming off. You know, Rakic has only lost one fight in the UFC. He had won. He's won, I believe, five of his previous six. And Jan Blachowicz, we know. You know, he was a former lightweight champion. You know, beat Dominic Reyes, defended against Israel Sanya, and then lost to Glover Teixeira back in October in Abu Dhabi. And so this is an important fight between two top three um, heavyweights. The winner of this fight could possibly fight for the world championship next. The winner of Yuri and Glover Teixeira. So it's a big fight oh, yeah. for the main card. This is very important. Between two Eastern European fighters. Or, yeah. And what are your thoughts on this fight, Dan? Um, This is going to be a big fight. It's going to be... Oh, man. Jan Blahovic most definitely wants to, to kind of get back into the title contention because... He only had the title but for so long and then Glover comes in out of nowhere and he kind of just he dominated that fight so you got you, you got to give yourself a second chance a, a, a second chance and best way to do it is coming off of a loss to the champ you beating a guy like Alexander Rakic and securing your number one spot and you're saying I'm not fighting anyone else my next fight is for the title and he has a right to do that versus Rakic, man, you have a chance here to be number one. I This is going to be very interesting. This is going to be very, very interesting. A lot of striking for sure. This is going to be a lot of striking. I, I agree. Uh, I don't know who I would give this fight to, man, because I mean, this is a light heavyweight division, so both guys carry a lot of power. To me, uh, I... <laughs> Blahovic has more power. Uh, 
I don't know, man. I really don't know. This 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 doesn't go the distance, though. I can I can say that much. This fight doesn't go the distance. Someone's getting finished. I think if it does go does does not go the distance, it'll be Yon victory, more likely to my opinion. Because one thing about Rakic, he's very good. But my criticism of Rakic has been some of the fights he he wins them, but it's not like it's like it leaves you one more. Sometimes Rakic's fights. I'm just gonna be honest. Not, I mean, he's a good fighter, but sometimes it's like, I feel like you need to do more. Sometimes, sometimes it can be kind of uneventful. I'm just gonna be honest with you, with Rakic. And to I mean, me, yeah, I, but... I, I think, I think it's it's not it's not just the Santos fight, but also those Anthony Smith fight as well. And yeah. for him, he needs to have a. I mean, if he wins, he's probably fighting for a title next. But to really secure that, he needs to have a big performance. Something where it's like he, he really does damage to Jan, where we finish him or just does something to where people pay attention and go, oh damn, that breakage, wow. And this is, and he's, I think he needs to do that to really like get people talking about him. And even though know, if he wins, he gets a title fight anyway, but to really like solidify and get people want to see that, I think that's what he, he has to do. He has to do something to really like you know put you know do a lot of damage to Jan or at least or finish him at least. To do that personally, that's just me. Cause for Rakic, it's like I feel like he, I just feel like he do more. Okay. Um. I think Jan. I think Jan. You know, Jan has the Polish hammer or Polish power. I forget. I forget which one it is the legendary Polish power. Yeah. He's throwing hammers around and he's got power. Let's yeah. Let's give him both. Yeah. And and Jan, and such that left hook, and that's something Rakic has to be careful of, not getting set up to where Jan can just throw that in, and really knock you out like he's done before. And yeah, I know people. I know last fight against Glover, Jan didn't have the greatest performance, but out but before that, Jan has really showcased his skills on his way to the championship and to the Israel Sonya fight, where he beat Israel. I mean, I mean, we saw we did Dominic Reyes and Corey Anderson and Luke Rocco, where he knocked them out, all three, three of those guys out badly. I mean, I mean, if Jan, if the Jan Belovitz that fought um, those guys shows up, I think Rakish is in a world of trouble. A lot, even the one that fought Israel Asanya, I think he's gonna have a tough time. Cause... I don't know, I don't know, because the one that fought Israel Asanya was getting pieced up on the, uh, you know, uh, striking wise, he couldn't handle I Israel. I, if I remember, he kind of spent a lot of the time grappling Israel and just laying on top in the, of him. In the, and, in the fourth and fifth round, yes. For the first three rounds, he was standing with him. And Israel was doing solid. That's doing well in that first, in those striking exchanges. Yeah. yeah Jan did have his moments. But I get what you mean. I think the one that fought, you know, the three guys I mentioned, Rockhold, Anderson, and Reyes. That one. Yeah, that guy, yeah. Okay, so then, yeah. But then again, Reykjavik is methodical. He, he, he can find a way. Uh, yeah, it's true, but yeah, it's true. I mean, I do, I, I do, I do think um, it's a chance for Yon to get a submission because Yon does have a decent amount of submission victories in his career. And a lot of that was early on in his career. He hasn't really done that in a while, but it's there. That's something that you can always pull out of his hat. It's a submission victory. I know, yeah, I know he couldn't pull submissions against Glover, but Glover's top game is pretty damn good when he gets on top of fighters. I mean, people talk about his trouble for them. I was just surprised that uh, Glover was able to, you know what, that we broke down that fight, but yeah. I, 
if Diana shows up that fought Glover to share is there that uh, uh, then I, I'm not so sure that this fight is is, is going to go Jan's way but we definitely shall see moving on from there we could go at the to the into the co-main event it's a light heavyweight division as well Ryan Spann versus Ayan Kutalaba both fighters they were rising contenders in the division but then a loss has kind of stumbled both of these guys and so now they're here facing each other. What, what do you see in this fight here? Hmm. I'm very compelled to see who can, um, if Kutalabo can, you know, dictate this fight, like, bull, like you know, basically bully Ryan Spam because that's how he tends to win. We can just bully his opponent, sense of pressure and like, and like the action. And we and we typically can't do that. Usually, it's trouble for him, like the Ankalaya fight, and also Glover to share fight as well, where. Where each early on he was doing well, but once Clover figured him out, it was Clover just destroyed him afterwards. If if, if Kutalaba could do that, then Kutalaba should beat um, Ryan Span. But if Kutalaba can like pressure and bully um, Span, I think this is a fight where Span can win the fight. And Span is 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 a knockout artist, man. He really is a knockout artist. So this is like how how much bullying do you think Ian Kutalaba can do? When that when Span eat yo, Span man, like, <laughs> he has that nickname Superman for a reason. Guy is built like it. Yeah, I mean he's I mean I, he's got finishing power too. Yeah, also he's got submissions though. I think that's another thing. I think if this fight goes to the ground, you know he could possibly submit um, Kutalaba. There we go. I don't know why I was drawing blanks his last name. Nah, it's fine, but I mean, Kutalaba has also been, ha he's shown to have a, a propensity to have a really good ground game, especially against, um, what was this guy's name? He just had an impressive victory. Devin, Devin, um, Devin Clark. Clark. Yeah, I remember the fight against Devin Clark where he kind of just forced the issue to get it to the ground. And from there, he was able to, you know, secure a lot of things on top. Yes, you're right about that. That's a good point. And gotta get Kutalaba some credit because after the Magomed and Kalayev loss, we got finished battling in the first round. He, can't, he, he drew a draw against Dustin Jacoby, who's a rising contender in this division. Someone definitely keep your eye, name out, keep your eye out for, and beat Devin Clark. So he's turning around. But like I said, I, just, you know, Brian Spann can easily um be, can can not easily excuse me can beat him. It can be a tough it can be a tough fight for Kutalaba. Who's also nicknamed, I believe, the Hulk. So you got two guys whose nicknames are based on comic book characters. I find that very funny. Superman versus the Hulk. I believe John Anik is going to have fun with that. Yeah. We can move on from that fight to the next fight on the main card. In the bantamweight division, Luis Smolka versus Davy Grant. I don't know if this fight goes the distance here. It hey. might, it it might, it might, but both of these guys are, are, are going to throw a lot. I think Davy Grant, he's going to uh, try and take it to the ground some more so than Louis Smoker. But I, I think these both of these guys are going to end up standing up a lot with each other and try and go for knockouts. What about you? I think you're right. I think you're right. I think they're both going to try to go for stand, try and knock each other out possibly. I think it's gonna be a lot of stand-up fighting, stand-up fighting in this fight. Excuse me, 
And I think whoever can't, whoever's the better striker, better, more tactical striker probably wins. Or he's got more power too. I also don't want to discount of that. And Smokey used to be a 125, right? Yeah, 125, I think he was at one point. I think. I think. Because I, I remember, I was surprised when I saw that he was fighting at one. Because I'm still used to 125. I was surprised that he was a 130. I mean, we moved up to 135 recently. But. That makes sense. I think if he, I think he had weight issues. I'm mistaken. I could be wrong about that. But just if I just felt more comfortable 135. Either way, either way, it's he's definitely a guy who can always um, finish opponents. I mean, this guy had like, I believe 15 of his 17 victories are by finish. So he's definitely a finisher, Smoko. David Grant is like I said, no pushover either. He, you mentioned he can um, finish guys as well. That's going to be a very interesting fight, like you said. Um, we can move on from that fight to another interesting fight on the main card. Uh, Caitlin Chukagian versus Amanda Ribas. Is this going to be in a strawweight division? Flyweight division. Ribas is moving Flyweight, up. okay. Ribas is moving up, okay. Caitlin Chukagian has been having a, a, a bit of a good streak going right now. She's... Uh, was the last victory yes against jennifer maya that was a very good fight and then she also uh defeated vivian araulio so uh she's had a, a what, three fight winning streak right now yep. after the loss to uh jessica and traj caitlin chukagian is looking very very good man her striking's been very very good i man she's can't you in she's a very good fighter like a, a very, very, very solid, very good fighter. Maybe a little underrated, like in terms of like her ability. Like, you know, obviously, I, she, she's 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 good. Like, she's she tends to have good performances in, in her in her fights. I mean, after the Valentina loss, where she got dominated by Valentina, obviously, uh, she came back to beat Antonia Shevchenko, which is Valentina's sister. Then she had an unfortunate Andrade loss, where she got hit with body shots from Andrade. Which someone that powerful like Andrade hitting your body can definitely mess up most women. Up, uh, mess up most women. And since then she's won she's won three in a row. So she's won four of the last five fights. And I think she beat the girl in Amanda Hebos, who's 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 coming off a victory over um what's her uh, Verna Jan Jaroba. Jaroba, there we go. And does a, does a very dominant performance. It'd, it'd be hard to deny her a nerd crack at Valentina. Or the one, you know, the winner of Valentina uh, Taylor Santos. This this is gonna be a very interesting fight because this has a lot of ramifications behind it. Also, if you're man of heat boss, she can cut the line basically. If she beats Taylor Chukagian, yep. actually dominates her or even finish her, she would be hard pressed to not give a man of heat boss a potential crack at the winner of Taylor Santos and Valentina, considering she she won her last fights and before the you know. You know she lost to Marina Rodriguez. She, she, you know she has won, I believe, I think, five or last six fights up to this point. So she'd be six out of seven. I mean, especially in the weight class that where this division is kind of shallow, she does something against Kaylin Chukagian and has a dominant performance. Kaylin, I mean, it'd be hard to deny Amanda Hibas a title fight, like I said. Yeah. Plus, it'll be fresh blood for um for Valentina Shevchenko. This is. Like we said, there's a lot of ramifications behind this. Galen Chukagian is number one in the division right now, sitting under 
of Valentina Shevchenko. So we shall see. It's a lot of implications on this fight. Uh, next fight on the main card: Frank Camacho versus Manuel Torres. It's in the lightweight division. I'm not familiar with Manuel Torres. I'm not too familiar. Yeah, I'm with looking him. him up right now. I'm not familiar with him. I've seen Camacho fight before. Okay, uh, Manuel Torres is coming off of the Contender Series, so it's going to be an introduction to us. Oh, okay, okay. I know Camacho tends to... Most of his victories are by TKO and KO. He tends to finish guys when he wins by KO TKO, typically. So he's got like 17 of them. I, that I, didn't, I just looked up now, but I knew he had like a lot of knockout victories. And, and he is... And power Camacho hasn't spawned two years. Almost two years. Last fight was June 2020, where he lost to Justin James in 41 seconds. So you should see if he has ring rust or yeah, octagon yeah, ring rust or he or he goes out there and performs like a fighter who's been active against a guy who's making his UFC debut and, and um, Manuel Torres. But Torres is what 11, what 10 and two or 11 and two? I think. Uh, Torres is 12 and two. 12 and two. Excuse me. So Torres is definitely a guy that come out of the tennis series, a guy who's 12-2 record, a guy that I'm pretty sure Dana White and the UFC guys are high on. And so I think, so this could be a chance for Torres to make a name for himself against an experienced guy in Camacho or Camacho to beat up a young young fighter and and let and remind people of his talent considering he's won two years. Oh yeah, most definitely. But uh, nothing like a... Um... Nothing like an introduction to the UFC, like a KO threat in Frank Camacho, right? Yeah. <laughs> we can move on from there to the fight that's gonna start off the main card: Jake Hadley versus Alan Nascimento. Yeah, Nascimento. Okay. Nascimento. This is gonna be in the uh, flyweight division. Nascimento, am I? I'm not not aware of not aware of Nascimento. They're saying his last loss was against Tyre Ulanbekov. Oh, Tyre! I know oh, Tyre Ulanbekov, but yeah, I don't remember that fight. I don't either. Yeah. Split decision there, and that was his first fight in um, UFC. So he's kind of coming back to reintroduce himself. I think Jay, let me find out. Jake Haley is is his UFC debut. He fought a contender series, won by submission. Yep. He didn't know. So the guy's never been undefeated. He's a he's a prospect out of England. I'm pretty sure one of the top probably one of the top prospects out of England, being A and O flyweight. Most and, definitely. And looking from a lot of these uh these results he's had, he's a grappler. This guy is a grappler. Yeah, a grappler, yeah. Greg's got submission threat and a guy who I think that's I think if, if he's ready to get the fight to the ground in order to do his thing against um against Nascimento. Yeah, but Nascimento's also a grappler. Ah, okay, so it might be Both a striking fighters. fest. Yep, it's gonna be a striking fest. Worth striking the two's gonna win this fight. Yep. Seems like that's gonna be the uh, the tale of it, but um, that seems like that's the uh, main card right there. But please, ladies and gentlemen, look out for the preliminaries. There's some interesting fights on the preliminary. Verna Yandroba is facing Angela Hill. 
that's in the strawweight division. That's in the preliminaries. Nick Maximov, he's back. That's right, he's Nick facing, Maximov. Uh, yep, he's facing Andre Petrovsky. So that's going to be a very interesting fight there. Michael Johnson, he's back on the um, uh, UFC scene. He's facing Alan Patrick. And Vivian uh, Arao is facing Andre Lee. This is going to be some very, very interesting fights here in the preliminaries. I agree. I'm surprised that Andrea Lee and Araujo is on the prelims. I, I think it's a main card fight considering Angela Lee is ranked number 9, Araujo is ranked number 8 in the 125 division, and Angela Lee's come off two back-to-back victories, and Araujo is... Araujo is... I'm trying to see if she won her last fight or not. I'm trying to see if she do... No, she lost to Kaylin Shukagian. Shukagian, so, yeah. Before that, she had won two in a row against... Montana Del Rosa and Roxanne Manferi. I'm kind of, I, I don't know, I'm surprised that's a prelim fight. That's not a main card. Starting to if any, the rankings. Or I mean, if any, yeah, if I mean, if anything, there, there's a possibility you could have had uh, Camacho and Torres be in the preliminaries, and you have two women's fight be in the uh, main card. That there's a possibility there, but. I think of the two between the Chukagian Rebos and that uh, um, that uh, Angela Hill, Yandrobo, or even Araujo, uh, Andrea Lee fight. I think when you're looking at it, Chukagian's number one. That's that's the fight that takes precedence. But there, there was always a chance. But then again, I don't know. Maybe coming off this Rose and the Sparza fight, uh, uh, he's uh, uh, they're not chancing it. They're like, you know what, man? Just yeah. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah, but only one of them strawway, and that's the Angela Hill one. And Angela Hill, I mean, tends to have pretty good fights. I mean, but to be fair, to the Rose and Carl, but I, I mean, yeah, but most, but two of them are 125ers. I'm just saying, compare those fights to let's say Camacho and Torres, or even um, Jake Haley, Jake, um, why am I forgetting his last name? Shoot, Hadley. Jake Hadley and uh, yeah, the Jake Hadley fights. I would think the women's fight has more significance than the Jake Halley fight or even the Camacho Torres fight. That's just me. I'm surprised that's a prelim fight, but it is what it is. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you 100% there. Either way, good card. I mean, a really good card come back from a week after the pay-per-view with the main event, which is, which could be the next South Challenger for Global to share or Yuri Prochaska who wins this fight or wins that fight. You know, the winner of this fight, Bohovitz and Rakic should fight the winner of that, of that title fight come up in June. Definitely important fight in that light heavyweight division. And then, of course, okay. you got uh, Chukagian and Amanda Ebos. The winner of that fight could possibly fight the winner of, of uh, Valentina and, and Tiago Santos, which, which yeah, also so comes in June. So a lot of contendership fights here on this card. Uh, most definitely tune in, ladies and gentlemen, Saturday. This fight is going. Uh, these fights are going down on ESPN Plus. Tune in to check it out. It's a UFC Fight Night. UFC but fight uh, night. that's our, yeah, that's our coverage of uh, all things MMA. There's also a boxing matchup that will take place. Uh, Jamel Charlo will fight Brian Carlos Castano for the uh, world's super welterweight title. That's going to happen this Saturday as well. So please tune in and check that out. Saturday, I'm, I assume on Showtime or? that Yeah, that should be on Showtime. 
Okay, on Showtime. All right, Showtime pay-per-view at 10 p.m. I assume on the 10 p.m. East time, Eastern time zone and 10 p.m. Pacific. Most definitely. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's the end of the uh show right there. We have nothing else to break down. We hope that you guys enjoyed the U.S. the enjoyed the MMA that happened between this uh the Friday and Saturday between Bellator and UFC. They're going to be right back at it on Friday and Saturday. So tune in, ladies and gentlemen, because it's a lot of implications going down. We have an interim championship to be decided with the Bellator. We have a lot of title contenders to happen within the UFC. Please tune in and check it out. Uh, last words from me, man. Thank you guys so much for joining us on YouTube and joining us on all audio platforms, whether that be Spotify whether that be a, a Spreaker, whether that be iHeartRadio, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Austin, last words from you, man. Um, thank you guys for listening to us, on, whether it be on YouTube or listeners that's watching us or listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, all the podcast platforms we're on. We appreciate the love and support. And thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you guys I hope you guys have a great week this week and look forward to next week's breaking down what happened this upcoming week with Rakich and, and Blovitz and that card and of course the Bellator car with MVP and Am- not, not Amstrop, excuse me, Story fight for the interim welterweight title and hopefully it's a great week of MMA fights and we appreciate the love and support as we get closer to 5,000 on our YouTube channel. Thank you all subscribers to this channel and thank you all thank everyone for watching and tuning in to us we appreciate the love and support and we look forward to talking to you guys next week i'm Austin. this is chef dan have a good day good night or time watching us and peace peace ladies and gentlemen we are